What's up, Salt Company? How we doing tonight? A couple people in the back are excited. I'm, th I'm thankful for that. I'm a few more people in the back are excited. Uh, guys, I'm, I'm pumped to be here. Uh, if you're new to Salt Company, my name is Colin. Really thankful that you guys are here. Uh, thankful that we get to open the Bible together tonight and um, teach out of it and really pumped about this series. So this series, Living the Dream, uh, Mr. McDreamy, I can't remember his name. I'm sorry, Austin, my bad. Um, and uh, just really thankful for this series. This is a series that Drake and I uh, have been talking about since the beginning of the year, like before the year started. This was a series that we were talking through, praying through, thinking about, and just think it's really timely, actually, that this series comes actually near the end of the year, uh, because I, I want the, the things that, um, that we talk about in this series to be things that you build your summer on, and then things that you go on to build your life on, that you wouldn't live for uh, the faux dreams that the world sells you, but, but you'd live the dream that uh, the, the Bible is, is going to point us towards. And so, as we, as we jump in tonight, we're going to look at, at a story of just an amazing woman in the Bible, like an incredible woman that does incredible things and has a, a crazy story, and her name is Esther. And so, Esther is actually a book in your Bible. It's like 30-ish percent of the way through your Bible. Uh, if you don't know where it is, table of contents, would love you guys to turn there. But we're going to be in the book of Esther, specifically chapter 4. And here's what we're going to do is we're going to do like a, a flyover of the story of Esther, and, and we're going to try to take something from the story of Esther and apply it to our own lives. So book of Esther, that's where we're going to be. But as you guys turn there, um, something that has really puzzled me recently is um, mattress stores. Why, why do they exist? So weird. Seriously, I'm like not a conspiracy theorist at all, but mattress stores, okay? We're, I was in Ames, Iowa a little bit ago. Ames, not, there aren't that many things in Ames, particularly people. There just aren't that many people in Ames. This is a real story. In Ames, Iowa, one street corner, two mattress stores. There's no way that many people in Ames are buying mattresses. I just... Like, what's going on behind the scenes in mattress stores? I don't know. Something for sure, though, right? Um, anyways, anyways, that's weird. But why do mattress stores exist other than to probably do illegal things? Um, maybe not. Okay, okay, maybe they're legit. I don't know. Someone here is like, my dad owns a mattress store. It's like, Sorry. Um, anyway, why do mattress stores exist? Because the thing that you sleep on matters a lot, right? Everyone wants to come home from a long day of work, long day of school, fall into their bed and have their bed be the most comfortable thing in their life. Like you want your head to hit the pillow and be like, man, this is what I was made for. I can rest well because I'm comfortable. Mattress stores try to sell you Comfort. That's, what, that's why they exist. And tonight, we're talking about a, a life that we dream about. 
a life of comfort, a life where, where we pursue things so that we are comfortable. And so here's my question for you is, do you dream of comfort? When you look at your life, when you think of what you, what your life, what you want your life to be now, what you want your life to be someday, do you think of, I want to be comfortable? Do you look for comfort in money or maybe comfort in relationships or maybe comfort in position or comfort in power? Do you look for comfort in your faith? I want to get to some point in my faith where I don't have to try much harder. I know I'm good and then I'm just going to live there because that's comfortable. Where in your life are you hoping or striving after comfort? And this is the question I really want to ask you guys tonight. Is the life of comfort the life that you really want? Is the life of comfort the life that you really want? And and tonight, we're going to look at at the story of Esther. And she's going to be faced with this same question. Does Esther really want the life of comfort? Or is there a better life offered? So, we're going we're gonna to fly through her story, but before we do that, what I want to say, Esther is a short book in your Bible, would encourage you to read it, would encourage you to like listen to it on your walks to class, because I'm, I'm flying, I'm going to skip a lot of details, and some of those details are amazing, um, but this is where we're going, is does Esther want to be comfortable, or is there a better life for her? So here's a little background on the book of Esther. The people of Israel, God's people, are in exile, and they're under the reign of the Persians, and this story, the story of Esther, takes place in one of the capital cities of that ancient empire, a place called Susa, and there's this king in Susa, and his name, I am going to struggle to pronounce this, I'm going to butcher it, um, it's Asurius, something like that, um, and Beginning of the book of Esther, it kind of sets it up, and this crazy thing happens. The king throws a beauty pageant, and Esther, the main character, wins the beauty pageant, and she becomes queen. Okay, so here's what you need to know. Esther is a Jewish woman that becomes queen in in a nation that is not Jewish. And what we're going to find out in this first text is that she hides her Jewish identity. So this is Esther 2, starting in verse 9. And the young woman pleased him, that's the king, and won his favor. And he quickly provided, goodness, that's a hard word, uh, her with cosmetics and her portion of food with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai, that's Esther's caretaker, we're going to talk about him more later, had commanded her not to make it known. So that's, she's not telling the king that that she's Jewish. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. So this Jewish woman wins the beauty pageant and she's just showered with good things. Anything she wants, it is provided for her. She's living this life of comfort with other women to help her live as comfortable as she could possibly be. She's lavished with possessions, with power, and with position. 
So when you think of a life of comfort, there's no life more comfortable than a life where you have every possession you could want, all the power in the place that you're living, and a position that matches the power that you have. This is the life that Esther's living. And after she becomes queen, this is where the story takes a crazy turn, is there's a royal decree. The king sends out this irreversible decree that says that all the Jewish people are going to die, that all the Jewish people are going to be killed off, and he doesn't know that his queen is Jewish, that his queen is one of those people. So here's where we find ourselves, is that she can hide her Jewish identity and continue in a life of comfort, or she can risk her own death, reveal her Jewish identity, and maybe try to save people. But to do that, she's risking her own life. So the question Esther's facing is, the, is a life of comfort the life she really wants? Or is there a better life offered to her in something else? And I think as a third-person observer of the story, it's easy to kind of get this moral superiority and say, well, the decision's obvious. It's not even a decision to make. Obviously, this is what she should do. She should reveal her identity. She should be the hero of the story. But you're not the one that has this lavished blessing on you, and you're not the one who's risking your life. So let me, let me put this in maybe some uh, more modern language, a, a situation maybe you could better put yourself in. Imagine you're the CEO of a company. Imagine this is the job that you have always dreamed of. You make more money than you could have ever imagined. You hold more power over this company than you could have ever thought. And you have a position and a title that's all that you could ever aspire to be. But here's what happens when you're CEO. Your board comes to you and says, hey, I think we should make this move, this acquisition, something like that. And you run the math and you say, yes, absolutely. Like financially, that makes 100% sense. But then you see what the effects of that acquisition will do. And your conscience is saying, hey, don't do this. Hey, don't do this. This is like morally wrong. Not just a preference, but morally wrong. Doesn't sit right with your conscience. And so here's what you have to decide. Do I ignore my conscience? Do I ignore what I know is right? in order to increase the company's bottom line? Or do I go before the board, likely get fired from the job that I've always wanted because my conscience is telling me this isn't the right move? What, what do you do? Do you stay in comfort or do you decide that comfort maybe isn't the life that you actually want? Because here's the deal, if we want a life of comfort, we too will be faced with a situation like this. Maybe not exactly like this, maybe not to this degree, but we'll, we will have the choice. Comfort or courage. Comfort or courage. And I've heard it said that you can be comfortable or you can be courageous, but you can't be both. You can be comfortable or you can be courageous, but you can't be both. So it's easy to remove ourselves from specific situations like these, 
or from a specific situation where our ethnic group doesn't have their lives at risk, where we have to risk our life to save them, but you're not removed from the decision of comfort or courage. That's not something that you're removed from. So let's get this idea of comfort on the ground. Let let me help you get this on the ground. Why do we seek comfort? Why do we as people seek comfort? I seek comfort. Why? Because we see comfort as protection. Because protection is, is the way in which we hold on to, the, on to things that we most want. So we keep them close and we insulate ourselves from everything else. A, a comfortable life is a life that is worry-free, a life that's low risk. It's comfortable. So let me break this down even more. Why do we seek comfort in excessively large savings accounts? Because we think excessively large savings accounts will protect us, will keep any, really, any hardship an arm's distance away. It's going to insulate us. Why do we seek comfort in relationships? Whether they're friendships or a boyfriend or girlfriend, we, we seek comfort in those things. Why? Because we think it will protect us from our own loneliness or our own insecurity. So we insulate ourselves from our own loneliness or insecurity by keeping relationships close, maybe even unhealthy relationships close. Why do we seek protection in our reputation? Why do we seek the comfort of our reputation in protecting it? Because we think it will protect us from exposing who we really are. Man, if people, I don't want people to know who I actually am. And so I'm going to see the comfortable life of lying to people or of not sharing what's really going on in my life because that's protection. Because that's protection. The life of comfort is a life of control. The life of comfort is a life of control. We're all so afraid of losing control that we seek all the techniques we can in order to kid ourselves that we actually have control and we call that comfort. We want to be in control and so we seek comfort But in seeking comfort, we inevitably live self-seeking lives. Lives where our eyes are turned in on ourselves and not turned out towards others. So my question for you is, in what ways are you trying now or hoping one day to be comfortable? And how do you see your longing for control tied up in that? How do you see your longing for control tied up in your longings for comfort? Okay, back to the story. Back to the story. So Mordecai, this is Esther's caretaker, tells Esther, what's going on? Like, hey, in case you haven't heard, the king's going to kill all the Jewish people. And in case you forgot, you're one of the Jewish people, right? And then Esther replies and tells Mordecai that, man, if I do anything, I might die. Like, if I just go before the king, I might die. Because that's, that's how uh, these ancient kingdoms worked in the day is that if you presented yourself to the king, even the queen, if the queen went before the king without being requested, the king could kill that person immediately. And so she's like, if I go before the king, I might die just by being in his presence, let alone revealing that I'm Jewish. What should I do? This is Esther 4, starting in verse 13. Then Mordecai told them, this is the messenger that's going to go reply to Esther, told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than any than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will 
rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Okay, here's what I actually love about verse 14, is it's unexpected. We don't expect Mordecai to say this. Here's what he says. If you don't do anything, God will deliver us another way. If you don't do anything, salvation will come from another place. Why? Because salvation isn't dependent on Esther. Salvation's not dependent on Esther, it's dependent on God. But here's what Mordecai says. He says, God will save his people. But you, Esther, you, Esther, will either be a passive watcher in watching God move, someone who just stands back on the sidelines and sees God move, or you'll be a participant in bringing the blessings of God to the people that need it most. You can either be passive and God will do it, or you can participate in what God is doing. The way Esther is to see God move in her life is that she is going to be the catalyst by which God moves in someone else's life. The way the blessings of God are going out is not by thinking that God needs us to be courageous or needed Esther to be courageous, but by realizing that God's inviting Esther to be courageous. God's inviting us to be courageous. In both Esther and Mordecai, here's what we see. God will bring his kingdom to the places that we're in, but he wants to use you to do it. He wants to use you to do it. God wants to use you to bring the blessings that he has to someone else. But that only happens, we can only bring the blessings God has for someone else to them when we shake off comfort. We need to shake off comfort and put on courage to bring the blessings of God to someone else. And I, th- I think as we think about this idea like, man, God, God wants me to, to work, but he doesn't need me to work, we end up falling into one of two ditches. I'm guessing everyone in the room at some level falls into one of these two ditches. First one, you fall into the ditch of thinking God needs you. You fall into the ditch of thinking God needs you, but God didn't need Esther and God doesn't need you. But what happens when we fall into this ditch is we, it ends up leading us to pride. Thinking, man, I, like God needs me. God, if God's going to work, he's going to use me. And if he doesn't use me, he's not going to work. But what that actually leads to is not typically an inflated ego, but someone who's really tired. So if you come in here and you're exhausted and you're like, man, I don't know how much more I can do for God, I'm guessing you're falling into the ditch of thinking God needs you. Because we can't possibly do and be all the things that God would need us to be if he needed us. You're so afraid of letting God down that you put so much pressure on yourself and you end up being really tired. And what I want to say is God's not let down by your worst efforts of bringing his kingdom, let alone your best efforts. So if God's not let down by your worst efforts, he's definitely not let down by your best efforts. But what I want you to hear is God doesn't need you. And I hope that's really freeing. Okay, second ditch. Maybe maybe more of you, maybe less of you are in this ditch. You think that there is no way God could use you. God can use the person next to me. God can use Esther, but God can't use me. And you think, of course, God doesn't need me because there's no way he could use me. 
You think your sin or your brokenness or your lack of knowledge forces you to be a fan on the sidelines of watching the kingdom of God go to someone else. But what I'm saying to you is you don't have to settle for being a fan. You can get in the game. God can use you. And in fact, when we, put, when we move from comfort to courage, God will use us. Here's what I want you to see from the story of Esther. Not that you need a royal position for God to use you. Simply that you need to move from comfort to courage. Simply that you need to say yes to Jesus. That you need to see the next right thing in front of you and do it. That you need to see the blessing that you can give and offer it. You need to see the word of encouragement that you have for someone else and you need to give it. God can use you. You just need to move from comfort to courage and realize that when we move from comfort to courage, God just might bless someone else through you. So here's how I've thought about this idea of um, God doesn't need us, but God wants to use us, is it reminds me growing up um, doing some this like one particular day with my dad where we were trying to rip out this tree in our backyard and we had gotten like all of it down except for the root system, right? And so we're out there with a shovel and like chainsaw and axe and like we're just like going to town trying to get this tree root system out of our backyard. And guys, I'm going to be honest, I was no help. It, the project probably took twice as long because my dad let me like dig and do things because he just didn't need me. He was stronger. He was smarter. He knew what needed to be done. But he let me join him. Why? Because he wanted me to be a part of it. Because he wanted me to be able to sit on our back patio, look out in our backyard and say, there used to be a tree there and I was a part of taking that tree down. He didn't need me, but he wanted to use me. And when he used me, when I allowed myself to, to be used by my dad, even though he didn't need me, I was able to enjoy in the blessings of a treeless backyard. God doesn't need us, but he invites us to partner with him. God doesn't need you, but he's inviting you. Not because you're qualified, but because he wants to bless others through you. And in blessing others, he wants to bring a blessing to you. So as we jump back into the story, I, I stopped verse 14 halfway through. But the second half of verse 14 is the most famous line in the book of Esther. This is what Mordecai says to Esther. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. What Mordecai is saying is, who knows, Esther? Who knows? Maybe you've been brought into the kingdom, into royalty, through all the ups and downs of your life, through all the hard things and the blessings. Maybe you have been brought to this moment. Maybe you've been brought to this moment, not, not this moment where God needs you, but maybe, just maybe, this moment where God wants to use you. This moment where God wants to bring a blessing to a lot of people. God wants to bless a lot of people through you. And you know, you know how he's going to do that? He wants to use you. Esther, maybe your whole life has been directed by God for this moment, this moment where you need to move from comfort to courage. This moment where you need to move from comfort to courage. This is how it, it goes on. Verse 15 of Esther 4. 
Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. I love this. And if I perish, I perish. Here's what Esther does. She says, this is the moment God has brought me to. This is the moment that God has for me, and I don't want to be passive. I don't want to watch the kingdom of God come. I want to be a participant in bringing the blessings of God to someone else. I want to do the hard, scary, costly, obedient, and courageous thing that's right in front of me. So, Saul Company, here's my question for you. What is your Esther moment? What is your Esther moment? What is the moment that God is going to bring you to through all the sin, through all the hardships, through all the ups, through all the downs, the moment God is going to bring you to where he's going to ask you to move from comfort to courage in order to bring a blessing to someone else? Will you move from being passive and watching the kingdom come to being a participant in bringing the kingdom of God to someone else? But here's what I don't want you to think as I say that. Here's what I don't want you to think is that somehow God is bringing you to one moment of your life. That you can kind of sit back and relax because there's going to be one really clear moment where God needs you to move from comfort to courage. No, God wants to use your everyday, your mundane, normal, your connection group moments, your work moments, your class moments. He wants to use those moments for you to move from comfort to courage. Your Esther moment may not come when it's time to save thousands of lives, but when it's time to say one word that only you can give. That might be your Esther moment. That your Esther moment is not one big defining moment, but a way of living that moves us from comfort to courage so the blessings of God don't just stay with us, but go to someone else. So when your Esther moment comes, when the moment God has brought you to comes, when you have a blessing to give to someone else, when you have a word of encouragement to give to someone else, when you have a prayer to pray over someone else, will you move from comfort to courage? Will you move from comfort to courage? Before we move on, I want to recognize the importance of one other character in this story. And that's Mordecai. The main character of the story is Esther. Some of, you, some of you are like, well, it's God. And it's like, okay, yes. But um, for sake of this, it's Esther. Uh, Esther needed someone in her life to say the hard thing. That Mordecai saw her Esther moment before Esther saw her Esther moment. Mordecai said, maybe your life has led up to this moment where you need to do the hard, scary, next right obedient, courageous thing. And maybe this is a moment God has prepared for you is that, yes, we all have Esther moments ahead of us, but I'm guessing some of you have Mordecai moments ahead of you. You have a Mordecai moment ahead of you where you need to go up to that friend, connection group member, family member, 
roommate, whoever it is, you need to have a Mordecai moment where in love you say, hey, there is a right step of obedience in front of you. And I know it's hard and I know it's scary. But I think in that step, God's calling you to move from comfort to courage. But here's what's true about Mordecai moments. Is that before we can have Mordecai moments, we also need to move from comfort to courage because Mordecai moments are scary too. Because Mordecai moments are hard. Because going up to someone you love and pushing them to do the next right thing isn't always easy. But I want Saul Company to move from comfort to courage, which means we need to step out and have Mordecai moments just like we have Esther moments. Some of you, here's what you need to do. You need to invite a Mordecai into your life. You need to say, man, maybe I'm actually... I know there are, there are blind spots in my life where I need someone to call me to the next right step of obedience. And, and I need to invite a Mordecai into my life and say, hey, you, you are the person that can say the hard thing to me and call me to the right step of obedience. Guys, I just want to say, like, man, I'm not, I'm not immune to this. So I regularly, there, there are a couple guys in my life that I regularly tell, like, hey, you're my Mordecai. I don't always use those, those words, but I say it to them. I say, hey, you can call me to the next right step of obedience, even when it's hard, even when it takes courage on my behalf. Because I know myself, I need a Mordecai in my life sometimes. And so even this morning, I was driving, I was thinking about this, and I quickly stopped my car and sent a voice text to one of my buddies and said, hey man, I'm, I'm teaching on Esther tonight. And I just need you to know, I've said this before, but I'm saying it again. You, you can have Mordecai moments with me. You, can, you don't have to be afraid to say the hard thing to me when you're calling me to obedience. So maybe you need to invite someone to be a Mordecai in your life, but I also want to say, maybe you don't need to be invited in order to be the Mordecai in someone else's life. Here's what I'm saying. I think some of you know that you need to challenge someone next to you. You know you need to challenge someone in your C group. And it's hard and it's scary, but you don't need to get invited in to say something to them. Do it out of love and do it with people that you love. Don't, don't do it to the random stranger in a mean way. That's a terrible idea. Uh, but some of, you, some of you need to have hard moments with someone else and do it in love because God's calling them from comfort to courage and stepping in obedience. So Saul Company, you have a lifetime full of Esther and Mordecai moments ahead of you a lifetime full of stepping from comfort to courage to see what God would do through you and bringing his blessings to someone else. Will you take it? Will you take it? Will you move from comfort to courage? But hear me on this. Before we move on, hear me on this. Before you could ever do good or bring a blessing to someone else, you had to receive a blessing. We're not people that can bless from empty tanks. We needed our tank to be full. We needed to receive blessing before we could offer blessing. Before you could move from comfort to courage, you needed someone to step in on your behalf and do something courageous for you. Before you could participate in bringing the kingdom to someone else, you had to be passive as you watched the kingdom come to you. So I want to be extra clear. I want to be extra clear, especially if you're new to Saul Company. This is what the gospel is. Not that you do good, hard, courageous things for God, but that he has done the hard thing for you. 
Not that he needs you, but that he entered in on your behalf. That in this story, you were actually the Jewish people. You weren't the queen. You were the Jewish person who needed to receive a blessing from someone else. In your life, you were the Jewish people ruled by a king that was going to kill you. And that king was called sin, that you had no way to be a blessing. You needed to receive a blessing, and Jesus came for you. That Jesus gave the blessing that you could not give, that you could not earn, that Jesus died and was raised to new life to save you, and now considers you a part of his family when you trust him. That before you could ever have an Esther moment for someone else, Someone had to do the courageous thing for you. And so if you're not a Christian, if you're new, if you're just figuring this thing out, if a friend brought you and just said, hey, hear hear the person that's talking out at Salt Company. If you could hear me say one thing, this is what it would be. God doesn't need anything from you. God doesn't need anything from you. He just wants to offer you the life that you've always wanted. He wants you to offer you a life with him, not that you earn something for him, but that everything you could ever need in this entire world has been earned for you. That before you could have an Esther moment, you need to to receive the blessings of God. And for the Christian in the room, for the one that has put their faith in Jesus, here's what I want to say to you. The reason you can move from comfort to courage is that Jesus moved from heaven to earth on your behalf. And because Jesus moved from heaven to earth, we can move from comfort to courage. You can step into a life of participation in bringing the blessings of God because you have first received the blessings of God. So here's how we're going to wrap up. I'm going to give you three ways. Three ways I and the rest of the staff are praying that God moves Salt Company from comfort to courage. And I think they might be a little unexpected, but before I do that, before I do that, I want to ask you guys one question, which is this. Think about the end of your life. Maybe think about your, like the legacy you leave behind after you die. This, this just helps us, this just helps us sometimes get out of everyday decisions and, and, and give it, gain a little perspective. So when you think about the end of your life, do you want to be remembered for someone that was really, be remembered as someone who is really comfortable? Or do you want to be remembered as someone who is really courageous? You want people to say, oh, he loved Jesus, but he was safe, lived a protected, comfortable life, and he loved watching the kingdom of God go to other people. Or do you want people to say, oh, she loved Jesus, and because of that, she lived a hard, scary, courageous life where she was eager for God to use her to bring the blessings of God to someone else? Do you want to leave a legacy of comfort or do you want to leave a legacy of courage? All right. Three ways I'm asking God to move in our ministry, to move us from comfort to courage. Number one, in our sin. That we'd move from comfort to courage in our sin. Guys, here's what inevitably happens when we come to know Jesus. Is that we get rid of some of that initial sin in our life And then we see the cost of getting rid of the rest of it. 
the cost of relationships, the cost of reputation, the cost of effort, the cost of intentionality, whatever it is, and we get comfortable. And we end up walking in our Christian life being comfortable with the sin we're still struggling with. And maybe we don't want it. Like, we don't want it. I mean, I wish I didn't struggle with that. But we're comfortable in the life we're living that we're not doing intentional things to get rid of it. We're in the trap of comfort, and God wants us to move towards courage and fighting our sin. And it's scary, and it's hard. But it's obedient, and it's courageous, and it's worth it. Like, maybe you need to delete social media. Like, you know social media leads you towards sin, but man, imagine what would happen if I deleted my social media. Maybe you need to delete it. Maybe you need to create new friends because the ones you have lead you towards sin. And I'm not saying leave them in the dust and forget about them, but I'm saying maybe you need to spend your Saturday night with someone else. And that's hard, that's scary, and it takes courage. But maybe that's how God wants to move you from comfort to courage. Maybe you need to have a hard conversation with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Yeah, it's hard. That's scary. But you don't want to live in sin anymore. And so you want to do intentional things to fight it. Maybe you need to break up with your current boyfriend or girlfriend. Because it's comfortable being in that relationship and it's scary to maybe end it. But if that's what God's calling you to do, would you move from comfort to courage in fighting your sin? Maybe you need to step towards someone by inviting a Mordecai into your life. We already talked about that. But like, man, I know myself and I know the sin I struggle with. I need to invite a Mordecai into my life. And you're like, Colin, how does the kingdom of God come in that? In fighting my sin, how does the kingdom of God come? Here's, here's how it comes. Is that I promise you, if you start taking your sin seriously, the people around you will start taking their sin seriously. At least the other Christians around you will start taking their sin seriously. And the non-Christians around you will notice something different and say, I want a little piece of that. I want a little bit more of that. And when you start taking your sin seriously, you will see the blessings of God on your life and you will start saying, this is the life that I was made for. Guys, I see this in my own life. I see this in my own life. And so I need to take seriously again, fighting sin in my own life. So Saul Company, I'm praying, I'm praying that God would move us from comfort to courage in fighting our sin. Number two, in community. Praying that we'd move from comfort to courage in taking off the mask of perfection. Because here's what we all do, is we all inevitably sin. And then especially when we're in Christian community, we lie, we fake it, and we try to put on a mask to say, I'm actually not that bad of a person. I don't want to share it because that would ruin my reputation. So we cover it, we hide it, and we pretend it's not there. We want to mask the parts of us that are unimpressive and underwhelming. And that's comfortable. But it's also exhausting. It's comfortable to pretend like we have it all together, but it's really exhausting because none of us actually do. We try to hide who we really are. And you're saying, I see that it takes a lot of courage to be honest about who I am, but how could that possibly bless someone else? There's no way that me being honest about myself brings the blessings of God to someone else. And here's what I want to say. Is that when you confess your sin, you're opening up the door for someone else to confess their sin. When you relieve yourself, because we know it's a burden to carry our sin. When you put that burden out in front of others, you're allowing others to put that burden out in front of you. It's hard, but we need to move from comfort to courage. And the second thing that it does 
you're bringing an opportunity to be a gospel witness into the places that you bring your sin into the light. Why? Because we say, I'm not that impressive. I'm underwhelming. I don't have my life together. But Jesus was perfect on my behalf. I don't need to be perfect because he was in my place. So I'm, I'm asking God that we'd move from comfort to courage in exposing our sin. Number three, last one. Praying that we'd move from comfort to courage by inviting the friend that you know to hear the gospel. Whether it's to Saul Company or just sharing it with them, the one who needs hope, that we'd move from comfort to courage in bringing a message of hope to them. Guys, we all know someone who needs the hope of Jesus. We all know someone who's walking in darkness and who's working really hard to try to gain the approval of someone or something, and they're going to spend the rest of their life trying to gain that approval. But that there are people in this room who have gained approval from the Most High God, not because of what you have done, but because of what He has done in your place, and you can offer that to someone else. And I, we talk about sharing the gospel a lot here at Salt Company. And I don't want you to hear me say it's easy. I don't want you to hear me say it, it should be comfortable for you. It's not. It's scary. It's hard. It's, it takes a lot of courage, but it's obedient. Because you're offering the hope that someone has first offered to you. And so would we move from comfort to courage in bringing the blessings of God, the good news of Jesus to others? So here's, here's how I want to end. There are th- those are three ways that I'm praying God moves Saul Company from comfort to courage. But I don't know what your Esther moment is. I don't know when your Esther moment is going to come, when God's going to call you to move from comfort to courage, when God's going to ask you to say something that you can say to someone else because you know what's going on, when God's going to call you to offer the hand to help someone back up, When's God, when God's going to call you to bring hope to someone who needs it. I don't know. That moment might come tonight. It might come tomorrow. But here's what I want Saul Company to be, is I want Saul Company to be people who look for their Esther moment, and move from comfort to courage to see the kingdom of God go to someone else. That we're a people that want to see the blessings of God received by someone else. And so we're a, we're a ministry, we're a people, we're a group that consistently moves from comfort to courage. And so my prayer is that you'd you just do the next right thing. That your Esther moment is just the next right moment. Is the next thing that you can offer that no one else can the way the blessings of God go to the people around us is by moving from comfort to courage in the next right thing. Let's pray. God, um, would we move from comfort to courage? Man, there are people in this room that need to move from comfort to courage in fighting their sin. God, they need to run fast and hard from the sin that is entangling them right now. God, give them courage to move away from comfort God, there are people in this room that are pretending to have it all together and are exhausted because it's comfortable. It's comfortable to try to deceive others that we have our life figured out, that we know what we're doing when we don't, God. Would you give us courage to share what's going on, courage to confess our sin, courage to bring to light what we need to in Connection Group? And God, would we move from comfort to courage in sharing the good news of Jesus? God, that for those of us that are Christians in the room, we have received the ultimate blessing that we could have never earned, but that you have given to us. And now you have enabled us to 
be participants in bringing that news to someone else. God, move us from comfort and move us towards courage. Would you help us see our Esther moment and take it? Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.